Thank you for joining us for this episode in our series of podcasts for J.D. Power Evaluation Services. I'm Jack Derad, host of the America on the Road radio program and a contributing writer to JDPower.com. The issue we're considering today is a fascinating one, the value of used electric vehicles and the trends surrounding those values. The battery electric vehicle market continues to grow with more than 100 new EV models expected in the next few years. That has implications for the value of BEVs as used vehicles, of course, and equally important, the used values of BEVs have major implications for the sales of new electric vehicles. We have two experts with us to discuss the issues surrounding this heavy influx of electric vehicles. David Paris has been with us before. He is Senior Manager of Market Insights at J.D. Power Evaluation Services. He's written and spoken extensively about the consumer acceptance of EVs. Kerry Crane is Director, Industry Insights for ALG, which is now part of J.D. Power Evaluation Services. She oversees ALG's consulting team that advises car makers on issues regarding used vehicle values. Thanks to both of you for being with us. I appreciate you both being with us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Carrie, let's start with you. Let's let's talk about the big picture. What is the current state of the BEV market, the electric vehicle market, and what growth are we expecting in the future? Sure. So BEV market share is currently around 3%. So although it's a main talking point for the automotive industry right now, it's still a pretty small percent of the total mix. But it's also more than double where BEVs were just five years ago. And the range being offered now is a main driver of the growth. It's making it a lot easier to turn um, to turn in the keys to your ICE vehicles and replace it with an electric vehicle. And as far as the growth, really this year, we're starting to see that rapid growth for BEVs start. Um, JD Power is expecting BEVs to grow market share by about 1% to 2% per year through 2025. At that time, you're, what you mentioned, you're expecting 100 BEVs in market. We're expecting about 9% market share. So still not a not a big mix of the industry with 100 vehicles coming in market. It's going to be a pretty competitive space. It sounds very competitive. Uh, David, what vehicle types are you forecasting will see the most growth? Because uh, that's important for car, car makers and consumers alike to know. Yeah, you know, kind of uh, building off of what Kerry said, J.D. Power is expecting to see some, you know, very healthy growth in the BEV market um, over the the course of the next coming years. Similar to uh, what we've observed um, over the past few years on the ICE side, uh, some of the biggest growth is going to be in the utility segments as automakers continue to shift away from their traditional passenger car offerings. And, you know, when BEVs were were first rolled out, the technology was applied to passenger cars as these models were typically smaller, lighter, and ultimately yielded uh, higher ranges than if uh, these earlier technologies were applied to SUVs. And then since then, the market has slowly added uh, utilities. And just as of recently, we're starting to see BEV pickup offerings. For example, Ford just uh, recently unveiled their all-new electric F-150, dubbed the uh, the Lightning. And Rivian actually just started uh, actual phys- physical production of their uh, R1T truck. Right. We see luxuries kind of dominating in some ways, and, and some of it has to do with cost. But talk a bit about luxuries and mainstreaming, if you would, David. What's going to happen there? 
Yeah, when you look at mass market and premium share, currently uh, luxury BEV share is is much larger than mainstream. However, by uh, you know 2025, there's going to be a greater parity among the, the two sides of the market as an increasing number of mass market models are introduced here in, in the near term. Yeah, and we see that the technology, I guess, that uh, is pioneered in more expensive luxury vehicles, then it can get economies of scale and go into more mainstream vehicles and, and makes more economic sense, doesn't it? Absolutely. And we've seen that over time. Well, Kerry, here's another big picture question. Is there enough demand for all these battery electric vehicles? We're going to see 100 plus models uh, enter the market. What's your take on that? That's a great question. And it's a question that's on everyone's mind. Uh, There's certainly an appetite for BEVs. And there are all sorts of reasons to buy electric vehicles, the environment being one of them, um, to minimize the impact from a potential gas price hike that we've seen historically. And it's who we are. It's just part of who we are. We want the newest, most advanced technology. And BEVs are just that. They're the future. They're launching with the newest technology that manufacturers have to offer. And they are marketing these to showcase that. And this is appealing to the early adopters who want the newest things available, but it's also going to trickle down um, to other consumers as well. So as long as we continue to ease the owning experience for BEVs, we'll continue seeing adoption improve. Well, you see the early adopters, and they're probably willing to pay a premium for these vehicles. But then I think that the vehicles have to kind of compete on their own merits, right? And do you think we're going to be approaching that at 2025? Or is that something that's even farther in the future? And up till 2025, we're still going to be seeing early adopters in the market. We'll start to see more than just the early adopters with the 9% market share that we're expecting. Um, we'll start to see more uh, cross-shopping with ICEs, especially with the vehicles that are in market right now. They're more competitive in all ways, not only range, but uh, design-wise. If you look at what was in the market when the EVs started to come out, they were they stood out. <laughs> they were a little polarizing in their design. And now a vehicle like the Audi e-tron fits in seamlessly within Audi's utility lineup between Q7 and Q5. So, uh, yeah, they're going to be attracting more than just the early adopters in 2025. What does uh, loyalty have to do with this whole picture? You know, certainly you're having new entrants, new companies, new car companies uh, getting into the picture. At the same time, you have established car companies, some over 100 years old, marketing EVs. Where do you think that's going to stand, Carrie? So historically, there has not been a BEV for every brand. So it's force people who are typically loyal to certain brands to seek BEVs outside of their loyal brand. In the future, that's not going to be the case. Most OEMs will have at least one BEV in market in 2025. So there will be a lot to choose from. And uh, loyalty will be a much bigger factor. So competitive vehicles offered by so many manufacturers will really improve loyalty for BEVs. David, I want to talk about value retention because that is critical and uh, you know, use vehicle value, uh, essentially. How, how much of their original value do these vehicles retain? One of the un- untold stories, I think, or largely untold, is that BEVs have not been particularly strong in this up till now uh, versus cars with conventional uh, internal combustion engines. What do you think the future is going to hold? That's absolutely true. You know, in the past, uh, there has been a significant disconnect between BEV retention and that of their ICE counterparts. It's it's lagged very, very significantly. And 
this is a trend that is improving. However, it's it's very, very slow um, and still very much the case currently. Uh, when they were first introduced, not only did BEVs cost significantly more than their ICE counterparts, but range was very low and um, this, this technology was new and unproven and a little bit scary for um, you know a lot of consumers. Uh, this made these models less appealing, not only on the new side of the market, but also uh, on the used side of the market, which uh, directly caused retention to suffer. But as time has gone on, range has improved. As Carrie mentioned, the design of these vehicles continues to improve uh, as well. Um, and we're, we're seeing that retention is improving. And now we have some vehicles that have some history, right? Like the Chevrolet uh, Bolt and the Nissan Leaf, and what has been the experience there? Yeah, those are our best test case scenarios. Um, they've been on the market the long enough, or the, the longest, excuse me. Um, we, we've seen that Leaf retention has uh, improved when it was first launched, uh, three years uh, of ownership, they were coming back in the 20% range. That's almost doubled at this point. Uh, so we're seeing, um, you know, our, our very early adapters, uh, the retention of those improving uh, very rapidly. Carrie, do you have anything to add to that about EV retention and, uh, you know, what you've seen and what you expect to see going forward? As far as the total uh, BEV segment, retention really took a dip in 2013. At that time, consumers were really concerned with the longevity of the battery. And at this time, the battery, the BEV average was retaining less than 20% of its, its original value after three years. But since then, we've seen an upward trend on average right now, we're seeing BEVs retain about 40%, a little over 40%. But retention still pretty far behind ICEs, but definitely catching up with uh, gas-powered vehicles. And this is something that I think affects the market of new vehicles because of leasing, right? Could you explain that a little bit? Uh, yeah. So with leasing being so prevalent with BEVs, it's very important for retention to uh, be considered. Leasing has been, leasing penetration for BEVs has been in upwards of 80% historically. So, uh, and this is due to people not being confident with the technology. They're not uh, willing to spend their money to buy a technology that hasn't really proven itself for the future. So it's very important to bring that leasing penetration down. Um, it's a to build the consumer confidence to bring that uh, leasing penetration down to a normal level as ICEs are right now. Right. And higher retained value, of course, makes leasing uh, less expensive for the consumer and uh, that's a, a lot more palatable to them. Uh, David, what has driven the improvement in the fact that retention is, is better than before? There's been several improvements made over the, uh, the past several years that have ultimately helped uh, BEV retention. Newer models uh, have significantly more range due to battery and charging technology advancements. Also, uh, as we've mentioned, BEVs are becoming more attractive, uh, it seems, with each passing year. But really, the primary driver behind the improved retention uh, is the improvement in the range that, that JD Power has observed. These vehicles are just becoming more usable for the, uh, the everyday consumer, and um, that's not going unnoticed. Carrie, why have BEVs historically returned to market with lower retention, lower value retention than uh, vehicles, uh, conventional vehicles with internal combustion engines? 
Well, there are a few reasons for this. The first being BVs are sold as new vehicles with much higher price tags. Um, a lot of this has to do with the battery costs associated with the BEV. Uh, manufacturers are trying to recoup that in the MSRP. And also, consumers haven't been very confident, like we've discussed, in the batteries for BEVs, especially on the used market, after they've already been driven a lot. Um, and the other factor is incentives. The amount of incentives offered for a BEV is typically much higher than the rest of the industry. And in all cases, incentives offered on the new side puts pressure on used values as well. Those are very important value uh, factors in value retention. Others are there too, though, David. What has been the impact of federal tax credits on the used market? Because that's kind of a disruptor, isn't it? We don't see that in every other market. It absolutely is. Uh, you know, in the past, this uh, $7,500 federal tax credit has certainly, uh, you know, negatively impacted used BEV values. Even though um, this is kind of dubbed a, a credit uh, in the industry, it, it's really the same as an incentive. And high levels of incentives, uh, as Carrie mentioned, almost uh, always have, uh, you know, a direct uh, negative impact or applied downward pressure on a vehicle's uh, retention down the road. Similar to traditional new vehicle incentives, uh, these tax credits can only be realized by the original purchaser, uh, but do in theory trickle down to subsequent owners via the lower retained value and ultimately lower used retail prices that these vehicles uh, see when they return to market. Carrie, uh, we've talked a little bit about leasing trends already, but how have leasing trends uh, compared to vehicles with internal combustion engines been uh, for the uh, battery electric vehicles? Of course, Tesla wasn't in the leasing market much for a long, long time. I think they have entered with a vengeance now, but uh, tell us a bit about that, would you? So during the early years for BEVs, lease penetration was very high, like I said. Um, and this was due to Again, com consumers having less confidence to purchase it. There were the good incentives also that encouraged consumers to lease. And we've seen um, lease penetration come down, especially for the last five years. That's really coinciding with that range improvement that we've been talking about. This is giving consumers more confidence in the technology um, and improving the purchase of the purchase rates of vehicles, of these vehicles as well. And what is your prediction for leasing going forward? Will we see leasing be quelled or, or more leasing? Uh, how, how will consumers respond to uh, this going forward on battery electric vehicles? It should eventually, kind of in all areas, we should start to see more parity with ICEs as uh, these vehicles gain consumer confidence, along with the price tags coming down on the vehicles as well. We should start to see consumers... Um, kind of mimic what we're seeing for ICE vehicles in the future. Well, and speaking of the current market, it has been a wild one in all ways. The inventories of new cars are very, very slim. That has put pressure on used vehicle values. Uh, certainly COVID is a big part of that. David, tell us a bit about what the current situation and how it's impacted used vehicle values and how it's impacted the values of uh, battery electric vehicles in particular. The used market continues to be on fire um, and certainly, I think, uh, amaze all of us industry professionals uh, with each and every passing day. It seems like um, the, uh, the COVID impact uh, certainly has not eased, 
I, I would say that the uh, the situation is shifting every day, but certainly the uh, the entire industry, as you mentioned, has been under pressure. Um, on the new side, especially with all of these uh, supply chain disruptions that have ultimately uh, helped elevate used vehicle prices as both dealers and consumers alike turn to this side of, of the market to help fulfill uh, consumer needs when uh, new vehicles aren't available. And this isn't only for uh, traditional uh, ICE vehicles. We've also seen that uh, BEV uh, use values are, are currently elevated due to all of these supply chain challenges. Uh, granted, uh, BEV values have not risen uh, quite as dramatically uh, as their ICE counterparts, but are currently near the highest level that they've ever been, which is uh, pretty impressive. And this is a trend that we expect to continue to see for the uh, foreseeable future as the industry continues to work through all of these ongoing production challenges over the course of the next year. I mean, we're seeing higher and higher transaction prices across the board, higher transaction prices for new vehicles, higher average transaction prices, higher transaction prices for used vehicles. But at the same time, battery electric vehicles are premium priced uh, compared to comparable uh, conventional vehicles. Uh, do we need to see more parity there for electric vehicles to be mainstreamed? I, I kind of am curious about both your opinions on that. I would say yes. In order for more people to switch away from their internal combustion engine vehicle, they need to not have pricing, not be so sensitive to pricing increases. So yes, uh, in order to gain market share in the in the industry for BEVs, we'll start seeing the prices come down to levels that we're seeing competitive with ICEs. And David, do you have a comment on that? Yeah. Um, you know, as with any new technology, as time goes on, uh, we're seeing improvements in range. Uh, the technology is starting to become more affordable. In the coming years, we're going to see this, uh, this technology applied to more mainstream brands. And uh, as a result, we're going to see more mainstream models coming to market, which is ultimately going to be a, a very good opportunity for brands uh, launching these new BEV models to uh, you know, really capture from their loyal consumer base and a perfect opportunity to move uh, these consumers over from uh, ICE models to uh, BEV models. Well, it kind of sets up the question, David. Tesla had this market to themselves for a number of years, or largely. I mean, they certainly were the 800-pound gorilla in this. And now we're seeing mainstream brands and startup brands working their way into the market how is Tesla performing relative to other BEVs and, and what's your prediction for them for the future? You know, Tesla has really always been this like rock star brand with their followers. They, they continue to do uh, very well in terms of uh, actual retention. This is something that we've seen kind of since they've, uh, you know, come to market. Uh, their retention rates, I would say, mostly mirror that of their ICE counterparts. Whereas there's a, a bit of a lag between Tesla and the, the other BEV companies, but we are seeing improvements in, in the others. So it's certainly exciting times uh, that we're in right now. Yeah, absolutely true. And with 100 vehicles coming into the market, I mean, there are certainly opportunities, but these 100 vehicles, 100 vehicle models are, are competing for at most nine percent of the market right uh what are the struggles and opportunities uh, involved there yeah anytime that we see a, a rush of new entrants into any uh sector or segment 
uh, the level of competition uh, just increases uh, fiercely. Uh, we're going to likely see manufacturers become more aggressive uh, with incentives, especially those automakers that have had their federal tax credits expire due to the number of uh, EVs that they've they've sold here over the past several years. Um, so they're going to have to do something in order to compete with uh, with all of these other uh, manufacturers that are still able to offer that, that tax credit. And what do you think about value retention for used EVs going forward? What's your take on that, David? Products are becoming much more competitive with uh, each passing model year. Uh, overall visual appeal is improving, and this is very, very great for uh, future BEV retention. The The future is certainly uh, charged up for this, uh, this sector. Absolutely. And I like the word charged up. Well done. Well done, David. <laughs> Carrie, I love your thoughts on this too. What do you consider when forecasting values for EVs? I, it's got to be a kind of a, an interesting science, right? There's not as much history for this. There's not as much history, but really forecasting the values for an EV is very similar to forecasting values for any car we set uh, residual score. We assign values to the design of the vehicles, uh, to the performance, to the content. But a couple of areas are unique. Of course, the range, which can have a very big impact on resale values if a vehicle has uncompetitive range or if it is coming to market with more range than what is the competitive benchmark that will result in a big premium. And then another area would be the scarcity in the market right now. So the use supply there are not a lot of new market BEVs with high range available at this time. So even fewer in the used market, and this is creating a premium due to the scarcity of the used supply available for these models. But these are really the main differences that we focus on um, other than, you know, there can be differences in content that we would value similar to what we would value uh, an ICE vehicle with the same content. I have kind of a bonus question for both of you too, and I'm curious about this. What is the magic number? Can you name a magic number for range? I was talking to a product planner at a global car company as recently as two days ago, and he said 400 miles of range struck him as being the magic number. Uh, what are your comments? I'd like to hear comments from both of you on that. I would say this it is- depends on the segment, actually. Uh, as far as total industry, I think we've studied it a little bit and we see the rate of return really dropping off after 300, 350 miles, which is pretty comparable to what you get with a tank of gas. Um, but there are some vehicles that are going to require more range, such as trucks, and some vehicles that won't need as much range, like performance vehicles, you don't drive much and you typically see lower leases for. Yeah. What's your take on that, David? I was going to uh, echo exactly what Carrie said. I think that at any given point in time where we see a BEV model able to have more range than a comparable ICE model, it is probably that point in time where we're going to see um, a lot of people kind of taking more notice of, of these of these types of vehicles. Well, it's all fascinating. This is really an interesting time in the auto industry. The stakes are incredibly high, literally billions of dollars in the futures of many car makers around the world are probably in the balance here. It's been a great discussion. David Paris, he is Senior Automotive Analyst at J.D. Power Valuation Services, and Carrie Crane, Director of Industry Insights for ALG, uh, now a part of J.D. Power Valuation Services. Thank you both for your insights. 
You guys are in charge of insights, and you've given me a lot of them. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And join us for the next in these J.D. Power Valuation Services podcasts. This is Jack Neerad for J.D. Power. Thanks for being with us.